Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you for listening. So this week we're going to be talking about uh, The Reader, directed by Stephen Daldry. Uh, you may recall that it was nominated for several Academy Awards, uh, including Picture, Director, uh, uh, Screenplay, I believe, Adapted, and Actress. And it won Best Actress for Kate Winslet. And the story, uh, spoilers by the way, there's going to be big spoilers uh, in this episode. So the story is about a young boy in Germany in the late 50s who is, uh, I believe he's 15, and he uh, runs across uh, this lonely older woman who uh, she's about like in her mid-30s and kind of without discussing it or without real motivation, they get involved in in a love affair. Uh, The young boy's name is Michael and the woman's name is Hannah. And so their their affair continues, and it's, uh, you know, highly sexual. Uh, so, you know, if you find scenes like that uh, disturbing, uh, you might want to... You might want to avoid it. Um, I think I think they're fairly tastefully done, but uh, honestly, like, I'll probably be discussing nudity and sex and film uh, in another episode. But uh, right now, I'll just say that I think the nudity is, is tastefully done, Um Although I'm not sure if if the film really uh, earns it emotionally, but I'll talk about that later. So they have this very sexual affair, and then uh, and then Hannah discovers that uh, Michael is really good at reading aloud, which uh, sounds like kind of a, a strange skill. But if you've ever had to read in front of a class or something like that, you will find that uh, it actually is is very difficult, uh, and so. So she actually has him read uh, these books to her out loud uh, before they have sex. And so he is getting, you know, he's a young kid, and this is the first real, like, relationship that he's had. And he winds up actually foregoing other relationships with kids his own age because he's involved with this woman, Hannah. So he's starting to become, to become uh, more emotionally involved, uh, only to suddenly have Hannah basically just end it very abruptly and without warning. And it really devastates him, and he doesn't know why she's doing it, uh, or he certainly didn't see it coming. And it seems to correspond with a uh, promotion that Hannah is getting at work. She goes from being kind of a a lowly employee to a manager, and she seems strangely horrified by this. And so she, uh, you know, kind of panics, and and then she ends their relationship. So then it then it cuts to uh, Michael. Uh, several years later, he's in college now, uh, studying law, and there are some trials going on, some Nazi war criminal trials, uh, and he or his professor takes his class, and they go and watch them. Come to find out that Hannah is on trial, and it turns out before they knew each other, uh, she was a guard at uh, Auschwitz, I believe. And that she was particularly brutal. And so it's her and several other female guards. And everyone seems to be putting the blame on her. And she's not defending herself. All the other guards are saying that, oh, we, are only, we only did this because she told us to or, or she initiated like some of the brutality and all that. And she's just accepting it. And when it comes down to it, she has... Uh, she has she's faced with an order that she signed uh 
you know, or not an order. It was a like a statement of events that happened, and and that's her her name at the bottom. And so she just says, uh, "Yes, I, I I I did it." And Michael, watching this, is really torn, and he suddenly has this realization that Hannah cannot read, um, and that she's deeply ashamed of it. And rather than admit it in this court that there's no way that she wrote this statement that somebody else must have written it and she merely signed it because she can't read rather than admit that she would rather go to jail for years and years. And Michael could come forward and say, Hey, by the way, I knew this woman and I know uh, for a fact that she can't read. And so, so he's conflicted and he talks to his professor about it. And what's interesting is, is throughout the trial, he talks with some of his, uh, his other, you know, his fellow law students, and they they all seem very agitated by the trials, as I imagine anybody would, and they're talking about the complicity of the German people in the Holocaust, and, and you know, oh, they claimed they didn't know what was going on, but how could you not know, and, and that sort of thing, and, and taking a very, uh, taking a very, for lack of a better word, kind of a judgmental attitude, uh, and they're of a younger generation. They were kids, so they certainly couldn't do anything. But, but they, their parents, you know, could have. And so, so that's that's an element that's introduced. And so, uh, so Michael eventually decides that he's not going to come forward. And you never really know why. Uh, you might get the impression that he is a little ashamed himself. Uh, that he was involved with this woman and perhaps he feels that she deserves what's coming to her. And so he stays silent and sure enough, she is sentenced to 20 years in prison. And so Michael grows up and he's just, he always feels guilty about the fact that he didn't, you know, step up and say, Hey, this woman was not responsible for the things that you say she was. So what he does is he records uh, a series of tapes. He basically records himself reading books. And he sends them to her in prison. And they reestablish, uh, they reestablish a, a friendship. So uh, I won't go into how the film ends uh, because, from a thematic standpoint, I want you know we've already covered uh, what the what the film is about. Um, and I'll first talk about some of the technical elements of the film. Uh, I actually did not really like the reader that much. Uh, I thought some of the acting was good. I thought uh, the cinematography was was really great, and but ultimately, I just felt it just felt very. It felt like two different movies. I, I'm reminded of uh, of Atonement that came out in 2007, where that's a movie that's basically split into two halves. One could say even it's split into into uh, thirds, and so. So the first half of the reader, would, when young Michael is, you know, involved with Hannah and you're seeing the dynamics there, she is not giving him anything emotionally. She is not paying off uh, his commitment to the relationship. And you never really know why she gets involved in it. And there's that element of mystery and, and heartbreak because she'll never, you know, we as the audience know that she'll never be completely committed to this thing. And he doesn't know that. And so we just feel bad for him. And so the I, the acting here, uh, the uh, the kid who plays Michael, his name is uh, 
David Cross. That's Cross with a K. Uh, it's not uh, David Cross with a C, the uh, stand-up comedian. Um, and David Cross, I think, is, he's doing really great work. I mean, I'd never really seen him in anything before. Uh, nobody really had. And then all of a sudden, here he is in this pivotal role and... I mean, he really kind of has to carry the film emotionally because, as I said, Hannah's not really giving us anything as to why she's doing something or why she's not. And and so he really does a great job. Um, there are moments, there's a lot of moments where there's really not a lot of dialogue and so he has to deliver a lot with very little, and he does. You know, he, he does things with his eyes um, that lets you know what he's thinking and feeling but not not telegraphing it, not being over the top with it so that nobody could possibly miss it. He really does a great job, and I, I really feel like he, he this his performance in this uh, got a lot of people's attention, and I think he's probably going to be an up-and-coming, uh, maybe not star, but certainly he, he's going to get a lot more work from this. Uh, Kate Winslet, she certainly does a, a good job. There's no question about it. But the th- the problem with playing a character like that, she literally never gives any reason for why she does anything. Now, of course, we come to realize that one of her motivations is is deep shame for her inability to read. Uh, but as far as why she got involved in this relationship with, with Michael, uh, because she doesn't go into it knowing that he is such a good reader... And she she gets into it mostly uh, for sexual reasons, and and I, I guess a certain degree of intimacy and, and connection that she's clearly lacking. She's a very lonely woman, but that's something that we have to try and figure out. And I'm fine with with using your you know using your brain and your intuition to uh, figure out where a character is coming from, but she literally does not give you anything, and that is not. Kate Winslet's fault. She does uh, as good a job as she can with very limited material. Um, and then Ray Fiennes plays the grown-up Michael, who's kind of narrating the story of sorts, and 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 he's fine. He's very withdrawn. You you know, it's it's easy to believe that the things that Michael has been through, uh, whether it be the things that have been done to him and the things that he has done, or specifically not done. And you really feel like the guilt of not standing up for Hannah has really gotten to him. And he's very withdrawn. And and Ray Fiennes does a good job, as, as he always does. Uh, the problem, though, for me, is that there, w- when Hannah and Michael eventually have their reunion, uh, it's Ray Fiennes and then uh, Kate Winslet in old age makeup and it look it's it's pretty good old age makeup i'll say but you see it and and i feel like you're supposed to get a certain degree of emotional satisfaction uh not a lot because the characters themselves don't feel a great deal of emotional satisfaction but i feel like you're supposed to get some dramatic satisfaction in seeing these characters together again after who knows how long you know like 20 30 years like in the same room talking to each other uh and you don't get that. And for me, I, I, I'm not sure why that is. I think it might be, and this is just uh, my theory, it feels like she's talking to a different character, I think. Uh, I'd say primarily because he's being played by somebody else. Um, it doesn't feel like she's talking to Michael. Um, 
you know, the we've seen so many, you know, so many great scenes between her and young Michael. And there's a chance like when he goes to see her in jail, but eventually he can't do it. He can't go in and see her. And that really like that really kind of gets you charged up like, oh, my gosh, what are they going to say after she's in jail? And he's not sure whether he should speak up for her or not. And so that doesn't happen. And I feel like the dramatic payoff of them getting together could only have happened if it was that those two actors. Um, because ultimately it just feels like, oh, well, here's somebody else calling himself Michael, but it just doesn't feel the same. Um, and and that's that's always the problem with movies that span long periods of time because it's like, well, do we take this 18-year-old kid and try and make him 50, which, of course, would not work out, or do we take maybe a 30-year-old and make him seem 15, which would be a bit of a stretch, and then put him in some makeup and make him seem 45 or 50, which might work a little bit. It's always a problem. Um, Kate Winslet is is uh, an old enough actress that she can play her own age and then, you know... Uh, adapt her performance and and have a lot of old age makeup put on her and she's believably uh you know 20 30 years older so that so it's weird it's it's very practical it's a very practical problem of you know the scene had no power for me because i felt like it was uh her talking to a a relative stranger and and maybe other people didn't feel that. I mean, based on what uh, you know, uh, other critics have said, they they didn't mention that as a as a problem. But it just it it distanced me from the material. Um, so it's just it's not a very satisfying movie. And eventually, all right, I will say spoilers again. This does uh, this does ruin the film. By the way, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. So Hannah's about to get out of jail. And and Michael has agreed to be the one to kind of take care of her and he's going to, you know, find her a place to live and all that sort of thing. But she winds up killing herself. She, I believe, hangs herself in her jail cell like the day before or the week before she's supposed to get out. And again, you don't know why she did that. Uh, you know, it's not like, I I don't think it's like the Shawshank Redemption where she's afraid to go out into everyday life. And it's, it doesn't seem to be from, uh, guilt, you know, her feeling bad about what she, the role that she played in the Holocaust. She does save, she has saved up some money and asks Michael to give it to, uh, the daughters of, of one of the victims of the, of Auschwitz. And you think like, oh, okay, that's so. I guess she did feel some remorse, maybe, but she never shows it, ever. It's not like she doesn't seem like she's proud of it, but she certainly doesn't seem like she regrets it. And so, again, like it ends with it. it just I wish that that the filmmakers had given us just the slightest hint uh, of of what drove this woman. Um, and I understand that in life there are people who you can never really know why they do the things that they do. Um, and she's just one of them. But by the end, she has learned to read. She can read very well and she can write and she can do all that. But so, so you don't know why 
she she did this. It can't like the one motivation given to her is shame that she doesn't know how to read. But by the end, she has overcome that with the help of the person that's going to help her again reestablish her life. But she chooses to kill herself, and you don't know why. It's very. It winds up being very frustrating. And there are movies that can be frustrating as to why a character does something. Uh, but this, to me, just wasn't one of them. Um, and of course, you know, any anybody listening, if you have any any theories as to why she did certain things, um, by all means, email to email them to me, or you can you can put them on the the forum. Really, whatever. Um, and so so earlier, I talked about how. Uh, the film doesn't has a lot of nudity and sex in it, but that it doesn't really justify it emotionally. I personally feel like uh, nudity and sex is something that I'm not opposed to it being in film. I feel like it can serve a definite dramatic artistic function, uh, but it does need to be it does need to serve that function. It can't just be willy nilly. And I don't think that this I don't think that this uh, film treats it lightly. I think that, but again, I just don't think that it justifies it. There is a scene uh, where you see Michael uh, full frontal naked. You see everything uh, that's available. And in the context of that scene where basically she is bathing him and it's, they're about to break up. Breakup's not the right word, but she's about to end it completely. And they both kind of know it. And so she's washing him. She's, I believe, she's dressed, and he's naked. And that's it's it's a very nice visual symbol of their relationship. He is vulnerable. He's put everything out there, and she, but she's in control, and she is not willing to be as vulnerable as he is. So it's a very that I would say was necessary nudity. But the but I don't know. May, perhaps the the nudity was what was necessary artistically, always to show. Uh, his vulnerability and the excitement that he felt being involved in this relationship, but it would all be on his side. You really, again, from her point of view, you never really know why she got involved in this. And so, uh, so my feelings on the nudity are, are kind of muddled. I feel like, I feel like it's certainly done tastefully. Uh, it doesn't feel exploitative, but I'm not sure if it feels in every scene, uh, completely earned. Um, but that's me. So I, I've I, my views uh, of nudity in film uh, are not shared by some some of my fellow critics, uh, and so you know that's that's fine. More power to them. Thematically, here we go. Uh, when I was younger, there, there's a phrase that everybody kind of understands. Everybody's heard, uh, and it's there. But for the grace of God, go I. As a kid, I had heard that, but I never understood it. I never really thought about what it meant. You know, people would just say, well, ah, but they're, you know, there, but for the grace of God. And it's like, absolutely. What? What is that? I don't know. Uh, and then as I got older, I really thought about it and I got it. I finally realized what it meant. And it's, you know, it's, <laughs> I was probably, I, by the, by the time I, I understood it, I was probably, it was probably took, it took me a little too long. I might be, I should be probably a little embarrassed. Uh, how long it took me to understand that phrase, um, but since then I, I've really I've really kept it in mind. Anytime I want to uh, uh, judge another person, and and again, the word the word judge. I think I've said this before. The word judgment is thrown around a lot, uh, and I think it's thrown around in the wrong way. But uh, but anytime you're about to look at a person who has done something that you feel like you could never do. 
I feel like it's best to say, like, well, there but for the grace of God go I. You know, uh, the idea basically being that anybody is capable of anything. Um, it's one of the it's one of the problems that I have with that show to catch a predator because everything about that show and don't get me wrong. I mean, I certainly don't like the idea of Internet predators walking around free, um, but the tone of the show. And. It's just it's so. It's so it, it doesn't really have any perspective. It's getting it's like it traps these guys, gets them off the street. And in that in that sense you know what, uh, good, I'm glad that they're not out there. But the tone is just, it's so mocking, and it's so condescending and judgmental in a way that's just like, it's like, oh, can you believe what these guys are doing? Oh my gosh, we would never do that. Well, slow down. I'm sure these guys years ago said the same thing. I mean, you know, in the right circumstances and with the right mindset, uh, I feel like anybody can do anything. It's a, it's a line that... Uh, that is said by an extremely evil character in Chinatown, uh, you know, uh, said by uh, Noah Cross, played by John Huston, that uh, in the right circumstances, you know, you can be, you're capable of anything. And so it's with that in mind that I wanted to bring up some of the, some of the thematic elements of, um, of the reader. And I mentioned it earlier where just these, these characters, uh, a lot of the characters, younger characters, it should be noted, look at what Hannah did and say, like, that's horrible. And then look at the the fact that people didn't stand up for it and say, well, that's horrible, too. How could that ever happen? And it's just, it's it's characters who lack a certain degree of perspective, I think. Um, not that I would ever want to defend the terrible things that people have done, but, you know, I, I feel like if, if you make no effort to understand evil or, to put it in Christian terms, to understand sin, how a person can get there... Um, then you might wind up opening yourself up to sin. My guess is probably the sin of pride because then you look at what other people have done. You feel like, well, I could never do that. And then you instantly feel like you're better than somebody else and that you're, you know, that you're you're doing all the right things. Um, and you might be doing all the right things, but your attitude about that might be completely wrong. Um, and so I want to, uh, I want to bring up another movie that, uh, that I is is thematically similar, um, and and is actually uh, very similar as the content as far as the content goes as well. And it's called Judgment at Nuremberg. Um, it was directed by uh, Stanley Kramer, and it's it's got a star-studded cast. It's got Spencer Tracy, uh, Burt Lancaster, Marlene Dietrich, R- uh, Richard Widmark, um, Judy Garland, Montgomery Clift. It's got a lot of people, and then it's got uh, it won the Oscar for Best Actor that year for Maximilian Schell, and uh, it's about the Nuremberg trials, as one would assume from Judgment at Nuremberg. And but here's the thing: the the trials been going on for a while. All of the, for lack of a better word, obvious war criminals, the guys who wear, you know, who you know, who are proud of their actions. They they've already been dealt with. And so slowly but surely it's you know, the the trials have become they're not really that high profile anymore and they've gotten into some gray areas. And so this particular film is about uh, a bunch of judges who were upholding, you know, who their defenses, they were upholding the laws of the land. And. You know, the the laws may have been. Uh, horrible 
and terrifying, but they're just doing their job. You know, that's that's that was kind of some of the defense. And their Maximilian Million Shell plays the defense attorney for uh, for one of these men, and it's it's amazing. There's a reason that he won Best Actor, and I I, I don't know. Uh, I don't think the film won uh, a screenplay Oscar. I'll have to look that up. I don't remember, uh, but. It's really, I mean, the arguments that he makes are very good arguments. I mean, he talks about how, how, yeah, like, it's like, yes, it's easy for us to look at these judges and say that they did these terrible things. And, well, ha- these laws were obviously evil, and Hitler himself was obviously evil. So why didn't they just make a stand? And then he got, proceeds to talk about how Churchill and the United States and... You know, uh, in the early days of, you know, the Nazi regime in Germany, other countries were praising Hitler and the way that he got things done. And so he says, like, why didn't you guys do anything? You, you know, everybody blames us Germans, but why didn't you do it? And so, you know, so he brings up really interesting points. You know, it's like, how can you expect... You know, you you happen to win the war, so you can sit in judgment. But here's these judges who ultimately came to the same conclusions that you did. That this was a guy whose intentions were noble and and that sort of thing. So uh, it's really, excuse me, it's it's really dynamic. I mean, he's he's a young. It should be noted that Maximilian Shelley plays a character named Herr Rolf, and he is he's a young guy who feels very passionate um, about things that happened when he was much younger, probably a child. And, but what's interesting is that it doesn't go too far in that direction. It doesn't say that the German people can be excused. It just says that, you know, what you thought was simple, which is that, oh, well, Germany did this and everybody is kind of responsible for it, even if they didn't actively do it. You know, "Ah, they all knew it was going on. So let's just, uh, you know, let's not mince words here. Uh, the entire co- the entire country of Germany is responsible. So, like, it's saying that it's like no evil on this on this level. A lot of people are responsible in a lot of in a lot of other countries. So it, it merely puts that into perspective. But what's interesting is Herolf. He goes so far to defend his clients that he winds up bringing up some of their old cases. As I said, they're judges, and so that he brings up some of the cases that they had to try and some of the cases that they ruled on. And and he winds up bringing the vi- these victims back. And it's almost like they're on trial again. And so what's interesting is it's such a, Judgment at Nuremberg is such an interesting meditation on evil. Because it is not clearly black and white because, you know, if you try to... I, I wrote a blog about this a long time ago back when I only had a MySpace blog. And perhaps I'll put a... Perhaps I'll repost it on the More Than One Lesson blog. It's just such a... Basically, the comparison that I made was was rape. I have no idea how a guy could ever rape. But... And and but I I instinctively become defensive, not of rapists certainly, but of myself, you know, because I'm a man and men rape. Not all men certainly, 
but there's not a lot of rape going on where women are responsible, you know? And so I feel like when you, when you run across guys who say that it's like, well, she was asking for it. I really feel like they see perhaps some similarities between them and, and the rapists. And so they need to distance themselves from that. Cause like, well, I'm not that and I don't want to be that. And, uh, you know, and, but if they can't distance themselves too much, then perhaps the thing to do is say that, well, maybe it's understandable. Maybe we can blame the victim. And that's, you know, because they so badly want to, you know, not acknowledge that they are capable of something that if it's something they are capable of, well, then maybe it's uh, not that bad. And that's kind of the, the, the tactic that Herr Rolf winds up taking, even though I don't think he knows it. He does it subco- subconsciously, and he's basically harassing this woman who, uh, who was horribly victimized by the Nazis. And then finally, Burt Lancaster, who's the judge that, uh, that uh, Herr Rolf is is defending. So one of the guys, you know, that's accused, the guy that heard this case, um, he finally stands up and says, that's enough. We can't, we can't do this again. You know, and he, he takes a certain degree of responsibility for what he did, but he certainly says, I will not sit by and let this happen once again in, in my own, in my own defense. And so it's, it's a film that's really complex uh, about the idea of evil. The idea—I mean—it really puts forth the idea that that anybody can do it, and that people have done it in the past, and and that But it's also careful to say that, you know, yes, anyone can do it, but that does not necessarily excuse what has happened, you know. And so it's really first I, I love Judgment at Nuremberg. I really think it's a, a wonderful, a wonderful film. And so if you were to watch the reader and get and come away with some of the some of the thematic elements about assigning blame and the idea of sitting back and doing nothing, you know, which is something that Michael does, like that's one of the parallels thematically as they're talking about German people sitting back and doing nothing while something that they know to be wrong is, is, is occurring. And then Michael does the exact same thing and he has his own reasons to do so. And so you look at that, but then you, if you also, if you want to delve deeper into it specifically about the Holocaust, I would recommend watching judgment at Nuremberg because almost every preconception that a person might have regarding, uh, evil and, and sin uh, can pretty much will pretty much be destroyed by that film because it really is just it, it's it ta- it comes at it from all angles and all of them are right and all of them are wrong and it's it it's really complex and I, I feel like a lot of uh, Christian or otherwise I I don't think it's it's uh, any one group specifically but I feel like people have uh, perhaps an overly simplified version of evil and and of course there are things that are wrong there's no no question about that but as far as you know people are very black and white about how somebody can get to the point where they do these terrible things and they just think like well all i know is they did it and that's all i need to know well maybe maybe if you understand 
maybe if you take the time to understand how the person got to that point, maybe we can help prevent other people from getting to that point as well. So, and, you know, to bring it up again, there but for the grace of God, go us, you know. If we understand how somebody else got there, then maybe maybe we can see similarities in our own lives and be like, oh, I got to keep an eye on that. Otherwise, who knows what could happen years from now. So uh, it's really, to me, it's all about understanding. That's one of the things that I, that with this show I've, I want to try and repeat over and over again is the idea of using movies and fictional characters, sometimes fictional, sometimes real, but using the dramatic film medium as a way to understand people that aren't like you. The characters may not exist, but people like that in life probably do. And so you have an opportunity to get a glimpse into the life of somebody who isn't you and hopefully seeing it from their point of view. Now, of course, in the, in the case of Hannah, from the reader, you never understand why she does anything, but uh, the movie was never really from her point of view anyway. So, um, so I'm not. So I would say I recommend the reader. Uh, you know, if no, if for nothing else, then you know some of the artistic elements, the performances, and the, and the cinematography and art direction are really beautiful. Uh, it's just a really well crafted film, as all of uh, Stephen Daldry's stuff uh, has been. Uh, he did the hours. He did Billy. Uh, Elliot. I almost said Billy Madison. He didn't do Billy Madison. He did Billy Elliot. So, um, so yeah, I'd, I'd recommend the reader, but I would highly recommend uh, Judgment at Nuremberg. It's it's a difficult movie to watch, uh, but given the subject matter, it should be that way. Uh, so, anyway, there you go. Uh, I would uh, go to uh, morethanonelesson.com and you can read the blog. Uh, there's new blogs up. You know, every few days uh, by the various uh, bloggers. Recently, there is uh, some. Re- there have been some reviews of uh, the new Harry Potter and Orphan, and I love you, Beth Cooper. Uh, one of our bloggers wrote about uh, a film that I talked about last week, which was uh, The Big Lebowski and why he loves it so much. So. Uh, go and give that a read. Uh, there's some interesting discussions going on uh, in the forum, so uh, head on over there and, and put in your two cents. Uh, again, try and keep everything respectful. So, uh, And then if you have any questions or comments for me personally, uh, you can always email me, tyler at morethanonelesson.com, and just uh, say what, uh, what you want to say. Uh, you can find us on us. Again, it's just me. Uh, you can find me on, on iTunes. I would say please subscribe to the show if you like it uh, because that makes it easier for me to understand uh, how many people listen. Uh, if, you, if you are so inclined, feel free to leave some very nice comments on iTunes. Uh, no mean comments, please. I don't, uh, I don't need those. And frankly, the Internet's already full of them. If you don't like the show, feel free not to listen. That's fine. Or you can email me and let me know what you think. But... Uh, yeah, you don't need to leave that on iTunes. So, but that's just a personal thing. I, I, I don't, I don't enjoy reading it when, uh, whether it be for my show or my other show or other people's show. It's just, what's the point, you know? So anyway, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, next week uh, we are going to have uh, a guest, a friend of mine named Sean Richardson, and we are going to talk about the Harry Potter series. So uh, you know, come back for that. And I'll get you next time. Bye.